Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're joined by special guest... Jimmy Kirsch. <laughs> a magic <laughs> aficionado. And today Jimmy, you've been on the podcast before, right? No, no, I've never been on the podcast. I wish I'd been on the podcast before, but I never actually was. We talked about it once or twice. Yeah. Are we not on the Maybe. round, oh, round you table? Here for the rune, yeah, the Rune Lords, when we finished Rune Lords. Um, I think I had some sort of time conflict. Maybe I was just in the lab working, yeah. curing cancer. But anyway, this week we're going to talk a little bit about trading card games. But before we do that, buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Okay, so uh, long-time listeners will know, and by long-time I mean any listener over the past like five episodes, will know that I've been playing a lot of Hearthstone recently, right? Um, I've been getting really into it, right? Like the uh, the Hearthstone esports scene. Like I watch streams and everything. Like it's intense. Um, and uh, but it, it, but it also kind of occurred to me um, that there are a lot of like larger questions surrounding the design of Hearthstone, right? Uh, and like the competitive nature of like the card game and whether or not it is like really competitive or like at the end of the day whether or not we want to kind of like funnel it under under the kind of like. Um, like, in the way that we were talking about how, like, there's really not a lot of esports potential for a game like PUBG, um, that, uh, that there's not a lot of, uh, potential for an esports scene for Hearthstone, right? Because, you know, trading card games are pretty random affairs, who gets a good draw, who, you know, who puts things down at tempo sort of thing, like, all of those kinds of, um, all of those kinds of problems are, are things that are just, like, intrinsic to having a deck of randomly shuffled cards sort of thing. Um, and I happen to know that Jimmy, uh, does tournaments. I mean, do you still do tournament stuff for Magic oh. the Gathering, like, locally? Oh, yes. Uh, and not always locally. For instance, this past weekend, I went to Pittsburgh, which is also where my brother lives, so it's kind of, like, doubling up. But I played in the North American Legacy Championship. Oh, holy shit. Did you, like, do well? Did you, like, place? Um, no, I started off terribly, so I dropped from the event and then entered the smaller rebound events that they have, and I destroyed all of those. So I actually made it out like a bandit compared to my, my friends who I went with that stayed in the main event because they started off stronger than me, but then as competition kind of uh, increased in difficulty, they didn't like make top 64 or anything like that. Which is, I think, the cutoff for prizes. Gotcha. So I, so this is what I'm interested in, uh, in a lot of ways, because I used to play a ton of Magic um, back mm -hmm. in the day. Oh, I play um, Magic and, every uh, week. Right, right, right. And so, uh, and so, I'm kind of like interested. Of, of like, I, you know, I didn't get super into like the competitive, you know, like the competitive scene. Um, though eventually, I did kind of get. I can't remember what the league itself is called, but I got like a card. You know, like, you get, like, a card and then you sign up for the events mm -hmm. or whatever, and you can earn, like, Pro Tour qualifier, like, PTQ points and shit like that. Sure, yeah. Um, and this was way back. This is, like, Onslaught Mirrodin days or whatever. Um, oh, but, um, but I, but, so, but so I'm kind of interested in, in your take on some of this stuff. Um, so uh, to start this all off, when was it, like, the, when was, like, the first time that you got into, like, competitive magic on, like, a tournament scale level um i think the first time now i've only i've 
I don't know what you would consider a long time to be playing a game, but um, I think I started playing Magic like five years ago. Um, and then all I would do would be kind of play draft. Like I didn't have a lot of Magic cards, so I would do the format of, of the game that's just called draft, which is everybody gets three booster packs. You open them one at a time, take a card, pass them in the circle, then everyone plays each other at the end. Right. Um, and kind of after a bunch of time doing that, I kind of accrued a collection and then I made friends, and they got me into, like, older formats and things um, to see how well we could do, like, first. Um, like, I played I played a bunch of Standard also, um, which wasn't that long. So probably, like, four years ago, I think I started playing Standard. There were some times where I would build really janky, cheap decks, and then I started to try a little harder when Cons of Tarkir was the set, which I believe to be, like, three to four years ago now. Yeah, wow, that was actually much later than could, I expected. Hmm? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, um... It, it, is, so it is my outletting when, when, cool. yeah, yeah, so, like, when you entered into Standard, like, how defined was, like, the meta at that point? You know, like, um, in the way that we would talk about it with something like Overwatch or with League of Legends mm -hmm. or with Hearthstone, right, where, like, you know, there's a couple of... There's a couple of, like, deck archetypes that are, like, dominant, right? Mm -hmm. And you're playing one of a few different one of those deck archetypes, and, you know, you get your lists online and all that. You're like, how, how prevalent is all that kind of stuff when it comes to Magic the Gathering? So back then, I think the thing that made me most interested in Standard at the time was how, the, how many, not really archetypes, but how many different decks there were that were doing well. Uh, it seemed like every week it was, like, a completely new deck that wasn't, that wasn't too similar. Part of the reason for that is uh, Concept Tarkir got a lot of older players to come back in because they reprint fetch lands and things. And the whole oh, theory or the whole yeah, and the whole design of that set was there were five different tribes, each of them three colors. And because each of the tribes were three colors, there were lands in the set that tap for all, any of those three colors and most of the two color combinations. So Kind of what happened was the mana requirements of the game. I don't know if all the listeners know about that, but Magic has five colors: white, black, uh, blue, green, red. Um, in order to cast your spells, you need lands of each of those colors, and the lands were really good at that time because they had all these three-color cards and things like that. Mm -hmm. So what it meant was because your your mana was so good, you could play kind of whatever the hell you wanted to play. And all the cards were, like, uniquely powerful three-color cards, so it would be some sort of weird four-color deck would be what, like, won the recent tournaments, and it would kind of, like, change all the time. So it would be, like, how you have Rock, Paper, Scissors is kind of classically, like, you have a control deck, beats the mid-range decks, the mid-range decks beat the aggro decks, and the aggro decks beat the control decks in that circle. But it, in that similar kind of Rock, Paper, Scissors fashion, we've all probably maybe at one point or another known that one person would be like let's let's make that game more complicated let's have like 20 different things and they form some giant circle or some bs like that and it was kind of like that where there were just so many different decks that it was kind of like by happenstance which one was better than the others and it was it had a lot of variety and i think that um that is the most interesting kind of thing there was a time just before cons of Tarkir when that came out where literally every week the deck was the same deck that won everything and it was mono black 
It was it was just all oh, really? the good black was things like a, that were better than everything like, else. Like a mono black control deck or a mid range deck or. Um, it was called. It, it kind of had part of the issue was it had really strong pieces to be either aggro or control. It's called mono black devotion, and it had the possibility of just aggroing you out by like curving out, or it could actually play the long game because black always gets the good removal spells. Um, Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so Mango, you know, I, I don't actually know that you and I have talked about this on the podcast before, um, but uh, but like the, the the problem of like quote unquote net decking in Hearthstone, right? Where you go onto like Ooh, Hearthpone, magic too. the wet like the website, and then you just look up what the best, you know, like you know what decks made it to top ten legend or whatever, and then you just copy that deck and play that deck sort of thing, right? Um, does the, does what Jimmy describes sound like it also has that same kind of problem? Like for you, from a deck building point of um, view. Um. So in, in kind of like, so in, in kind of that way, like, I, I feel like at the high levels of competition, Magic does kind of have the same problem where where the meta decks kind of get a lot of the play. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy. I I haven't been involved in the Magic scene for a while. I tapped in maybe like a year or two ago, and the last time I really played a lot was Zendikar. Um, but uh. Part of the differences is like, like Friday Night Magic and Kitchen Table Magic are, I think, some of the more popular formats for Magic and definitely easily accessible, right? Like, when I play Magic now, me and some friends buy a box and we draft out of the box. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of like lets us kind of run free. I have, I, yep. I have uh, thoughts on that. I've done that before. I think people underestimate how much of card games is just like, kitchen table yeah but, but I, I think like it's certainly that, a large like there isn't a good kitchen table equivalent for hearthstone right like you can make okay. a dumb deck but like you hit like super meta decks in the low ranks and in random like casual wilds games it's like why the fuck i don't want to play your fucking like super meta druid deck or whatever the fuck i want to play my dumb my dumb stupid deck against another dumb stupid deck that way i can have fun to what extent do you find that <clears throat> in in Hearthstone, uh, the arena or like tavern brawls, like, fill that? Um, in some in some regard. So, um, just kind of fundamentally, I'm I'm kind of uh, what's what's the one? I think it's um, what's the combo guy? Johnny, right? Oh yeah, the yeah. different the different yeah. types. I can't even remember. Oh, what are the other um, types? Spike is the win at all costs. Yeah, yeah. Spike um, is super competitive. Uh, Timmy, Timmy plays like big, big creatures. Timmy just likes big shit, and then it's the Johnny likes one. elaborate and then, combos. Yeah, I think John. And there's yeah, Johnny likes mm -hmm. elaborate combos. And then there's combos, like so. Melvin and and Thanatos, and uh, and then uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Vorthos, 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 right? yeah. Vorthos. Yeah. and, yeah, and then yeah. Vorthos, like the who is attracted to the flavor. I'm very much a Vorthos, and then Melvin, who's just like a troll. No, 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 no. no, no. Melvin, Melvin is? is the guy who's super interested by the mechanical interactions of the card. Regardless of what the oh, Lord... Oh, right, right, right. David is the asshole. Dave. David is the asshole. is the asshole. The guy who just wants to frustrate you. Uh, these, <laughs> by the way, to, to back explain what we're just describing. Um, in Magic the Gathering, uh, I guess this was Mark Rosewater came up with these, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, he came up with the I original so. three. 
Yeah, so Mark Rosewater, who, who's been the lead designer yeah, of Magic for a long time, probably, um, he came up with a couple of different, like, quote-unquote, like, player archetypes for, like, why do people play the game, right? Um, and the first couple was you have Spike, who plays to win, right? He only gets enjoyment out of winning. You know, you have Timmy, who plays to, you know, he likes putting an 8-8 on the board and hitting your face with it, right? Uh, and then you have Johnny, who wants to play, like, ridiculously elaborate combo cards, um, to try and to try and win the game through that through that kind of thing. Um, so you would describe yourself as a Johnny yeah, player, yeah, typically. Um, and because okay. of that, like Johnny struggles in kind of drafty formats because you can't guarantee that you get your combos together. Um, or like right. you, in drafty you formats, you have to you have to value cards individually, right? Like yeah, you can't you. It, it's yeah, very combos tough to aren't say really like a limited thing. Sorry. Yeah, like it's. I was going to say combos are much harder in like a limited facet because they're usually not as like spectacular as when you pull cards together from like, you know, you need a lot of pieces to make a combo work and you don't always get those. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like that, 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 that's something that happens a lot in, in Hearthstone, right? Where you have a, like the new set comes out and everybody's doing their card ratings. And a lot of people will say, you know what? Look, a five man of, you know, five, six is a pretty, you know, individually good card you don't need anything else to make that card work and so you'll draft it in your arena deck but it also doesn't have any synergy with anything else sort of thing so it's pretty bad uh in any other uh in any other format kind of thing right like limited it's is is about cards individually more than cards from like a synergistic standpoint uh yeah um a lot of the time. and then and, and just kind of round that out right like i don't have a space in hearthstone where i can like it's it's harder to find that space in Hearthstone to 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 have those cool combos in like a dumb deck, right? Like my favorite deck that I've ever run was a Valakit deck, um, and that deck like Ooh. this was like I think it became real like maybe the, like like in like the second or third set of the block, or at least that's what I heard. But I was playing it on like mm -hmm. Zendikar. Oh, Valakit was real in the standard and is a modern deck, right? But what, was it was it real like? It was the promo card at the Zendikar release. Like, was it tier one? It was promo card at the mm -hmm. Zendikar release, and it didn't have, I don't think, as much synergy. At least this, this is what the people who I knew who played a lot told me. Um, and so I was running it, like, before people were thinking about it. And it, I didn't do it particularly well, right? Like, I also wasn't, like, I bought some singles, but all the cards were, like, maybe a dollar at most. And so I probably wasn't running the best form of that deck. But I was having fun dropping, like, 30 mountains and, like, fireballing people. Um... Or, or what is what's it what's it in this game? It's uh it's what is it thunderbolt lightning bolt lightning bolt, um lightning bolt yeah I was, was I was having fun with scape shift around then sorry was scape shift a card when you were playing uh probably not if if that doesn't I don't bell. think so uh it's a I card played... that combos with it it says you can sack as many lands as you want and then search your library for that many lands. So people get some Valakuts out, and then they just suddenly yeah. have, like, six mountains onto the battlefield, and, they d and their opponents Yeah, die. no, I, I didn't have that. I, <laughs> I had, like, I had like Oracle of Moldias and mm -hmm. uh, Colony Heart Expeditions and, like, mm -hmm. Terramorphic Expanses and stuff like that. Um, and so yeah. it, was, it was a slower version of that. But it was still fun, but, like... I have trouble building that type of deck in Hearthstone and playing it too. Like, it's fun to play that at Friday Night Magic because you'll beat a couple people, right? Um, I run my Toy Stealer Priest, mm -hmm. and I'm lucky if I won one in every ten games. Um, 
and so and so that, that that's part of that's something I appreciate more about Magic is kind of the the the, the emphasis and the popularity of the, of the casual format. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, when we were at Gen Con and you and I were talking about uh, card games, Jimmy, you said that uh, that your favorite kind of decks were mid mid range, and that you also that's said true. that like the best kind of decks. Like, like from like a like an environment standpoint, our mid range deck. Can you explain what you meant by that a little bit? Uh, also, just to find some terms. Shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, an aggro deck is kind of a deck that you know wants to um, uh, play you know play aggressive cards that will kill the opponent in the early game, right? You know, by turn four or five, you know, you're facing down the last couple of life points. Uh, of your opponent and you're going to win there. A mid-range deck kind of, you know, like, it typically wants to contest the board in the early game and put some damage onto the face or whatever, but then they have a couple of, like, mid-to-late game finishers, right? Like, a big difference in in Hearthstone terms would be, like, Face Hunter was a deck that didn't have a, a card with more than three mana cost in it, right? And you never threw anything except for putting it into the opponent's face. But a mid-range Hunter, you, you kind of have some more expensive cards. You have, like, Savannah mm-hmm. High Maids and stuff to kind of close out the game sort of thing. And then you have Control decks, which typically typically just want to, you know, control the board with removal spells, right, and card advantage and all that kind of stuff um, until the late game activates, uh, their opponents have run out of steam and they can flood the board, like, with big crazy threats. Um, so just to define, so that was just, you know, defining some terms real quick. But so you said that, you know, you, so you said that, um, like, a mid-range meta is, like, the healthiest meta. What do you, what do you mean? Why, why, why do you think that? I don't know if it's always necessarily the healthiest, though it is what magic has kind of focused on the most if you think of like the really famous magic cards from back in the day like black lotus and like ancestral recall and all that stuff none of them actually do anything to win the game per se because they're all like spells that don't impact the board they're like let you have a a huge boost in mana or cards or whatever but um ever in in the more recent magic philosophy they're all about, like, value creatures and, like, value cards. Okay. Um, for instance, like, a lot of creatures will do something when they enter the battlefield that is immediately impactful. Then they stay around and they're, like, bigger than average. Um, like, for instance, one card that was really prevalent, like, a couple years ago when I started playing was called Siege Rhino, which was a 4-mana four 4-5. Four which I think you said something I heard something about like a 5 mana 5, 6 is like pretty good. It's not like special or right. anything. But what this card did was when it entered the battlefield, it would deal 3 damage to your opponent and you would gain 3 life. So if you just like keep playing your above caustic creatures that are also like just going straight to the face, then you get a lot of value from that. And just kind of with the way that they orient magic, they being being wizards, is they, they like those big flashy creatures that do a lot, that get you a lot of value. And so it turns out that a lot of the best strategies kind of revolve around these value creatures. Um, for instance, all the control decks these days, which is control is but right now doing is doing really well. Um, but in the recent, in like for a long time, it's just been various mid-range decks. But one of the quintessential cards in Control that lets you win is a 6-mana 5-6 that when it enters the battlefield, and it has Flash, by the way, uh, it lets you cast an instant card from your graveyard for free. 
So it just like lets you cast one of your cards in your graveyard for free. And the reason why this is good for control is their graveyard's gonna have card draw cards, removal spells, counter spells. So this is just like a six mana five six that lets you pl play one of those for free. And it's like the backbone of that sort of strategy. Um, without like that card, I don't think control decks would do nearly 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 as well because they would be have they would have a harder time actually winning the game with their card advantage. But now they just have this giant five six creature that drew them two cards that killed your best creature that countered your giant spell or whatever. Um, and that's just kind of how it shifted. Um, they're kind of changing it. Uh, changing their policy and making it so that all the all these really powerful cards like what I just mentioned like that card it was mythic rarity so it's common uncommon rare mythic they they recently kind of posted an article saying how they used to make all the standard playable like the cards they expected to really define the format be mythic level but now they're changing it so that those cards are at the rare rarity and the mythic cards are supposed to be the the like Timmy cards, the big flashy things that are really individually powerful, but are probably going to be like too expensive or not really like important enough to, or like uh, prevalent enough to be in like every deck or anything like that. Right. Yeah, um, I, I, I feel that. I think the thing that makes the metagame most uh, most healthy is just having a diversity in in trying to make it so you have like aggro and control present and they do a lot of that with like creatures nowadays and making them be really value centric <clears throat> okay that's cool that's uh that's that's cool that makes a lot of sense i mean like hearthstone also kind of lives in that same sort of um space uh like a lot of the time you know like it's it, i mean a five mana five six is pretty good in arena, but it's not something that ever sees constructed play because, like, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, if your creatures aren't like, if they don't have some kind of text on them that synergizes with the rest of your deck, like, there's just something mm -hmm. better in there for you, kind of. Um, uh, or they just all say Jade Totem or whatever nonsense. Oh yeah, yeah, the Jade, the Jade Idols and the yeah, Jade they're, they're... nonsense. Jades, Jades are a mechanic. Uh, <laughs> Jades are a mechanic that I find incredibly interesting what's what's your background with hearthstone you've played hearthstone before right um not too much i have a bunch of friends that play it and sometimes i play it with them but mainly i'll be honest it's just me watching i i understand everything they're saying like um like they have like taunts and stuff but they also have what what what's the effect of like haste in it i can't remember it right now but it's like yeah this keyword is just this magic keyword i'm like oh okay they have, like, yeah, Death Rattle, which is, yeah, that's just, like, when this creature dies, it does this. Like, all oh, this makes sense to me. But I don't, I never actually download it. Part of it is because I know I would waste so much time on my phone if I just had a sort of free uh, magic analog on it. Oh, okay. So, like, there. there's nothing about Hearthstone, like, that, you know, is it, like, do you have any, like, specific criticisms for the game or anything like that? For Hearthstone? Or just in, or magic, first time, right? Oh, both. I, I, I'm just wondering. I'm, yeah, I, 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 I want to hear. I want to hear both. I start with Hearthstone. Yeah, stone. I definitely want to hear both. Um. Okay. Um. So for Hearthstone, um. I just kind of always hate the um. What would I call it? Like the. The the way they have it set up to be, it's free to play. 
but you have to put in a significant amount of investment before you can actually like get like the good cards so to speak or whatever like you have to like trash in so many other cards and stuff so while it might be free to play it takes you forever to build up a a a like good competitive deck right like would you would you say that's true because i i, I get a lot of this from like hearsay more than like my individual experience uh, I um, wonder, you know, so do you, do you feel like it's more fair to play, you know, like, is the way that Magic distributes its cards and everything like that more fair than the way Hearthstone does it? Um, it kind of depends. What I like about Magic is that there are different formats to play Magic. Um, so there's Limited, which I really like. It's my favorite thing to do. Uh, I view that when you have you know, a group of people get together to play limited and you're all just opening three booster pack of magic cards that is not expensive, it's not very prohibitive at all. And while, you know, there's there's some luck involved there, it kind of averages itself out over time. So you're not really spending a lot of money and everything's kind of balanced and it, it, it depends how well you play the game. Um, I used to play standard and I really liked playing standard because that was the the format where uh, kind of all the money and prestige is, there's always standard events happening. But I just couldn't keep up because what would happen is there'd be like a few best cards in the format and the best decks would each have at least one of these cards and it would actually play mm -hmm. four of them because you play up to four of a card. And so if I didn't have uh, like four Jace Vryn's Prodigy, each of which costs like $50, I couldn't play standard very well or do particularly well. So at some point when I wanted to like, yeah, I, I'm having fun, but I also want to do well because I think I've improved as a player, but then I don't feel like having to spend like more than like hundreds of dollars on a deck that just might not continue to have value after after some new deck comes out or like when cards rotate and stuff. So gotcha. I played standard when like the cards were relatively cheap because so many people were opening boxes of Tarkir for like limited and things. And the best deck was always shifting. So there wasn't really this like key card, but afterwards after that, the, the format didn't uh, become, stay as diverse. It kind of, uh, petered into having these these like kind of elite cards being the best cards and you had to have them and I couldn't keep up. One thing you can do in Magic is there's like a secondary market. There's lots of Magic stores and you can sell and trade your cards. Um, they also kind of made it a policy that sets would rotate every like one and a half years. Um, and it was it became really hard to try and like keep up with it which was different from before where it was every like two years you would think six months wouldn't matter that much but it, it really did in the end where it's like okay i can i can buy or trade for these cards and it's okay because i can sell them for most of what they're worth but it just ended up being like a lot of work and not really worth the effort i actually invested in legacy which is one of the oldest formats um the oldest format is is vintage which plays with like black right? lotus and all that playable. stuff um, the difference between Vintage and Legacy is they're both from the beginning of Magic's history. You can play those cards. The difference is 
when a card is too powerful like Black Lotus and Vintage, it is restricted to have one copy because they like the broken cards and they want you to have fun with them. In Legacy, the card is banned. So Vintage has a restricted list where each card, gotcha. where the okay. cards that, that are too sense. powerful, you can have one of them. In Legacy, they're just banned. Um, and so my Legacy deck that I played this past weekend costs probably around $3,000, uh, but I've accrued that by winning events, um, by kind of putting in relatively small amounts of money for like holidays, birthday, etc. over like the past like four years, where now I have this deck and this pool of cards and it just maintains value. If anything, like my collection like appreciates in value over the years, but it's not like my cards suddenly become worthless or anything like that. Um, like I, I have like a couple underground seas. It's like the original dual land. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Blue or black yeah. mana. Mm. Um, the each of those cards costs like three hundred and fifty dollars, and I have them now. And if I ever need to sell them for some reason because I'm poor, I could sell them for the same amount that I bought them as. And Whereas that's an advantage like that you want to get with Hearthstone. Deck, mm -hmm. Like because you know what? with Hearthstone you can't there there's no player player to player interactions when it comes to nope. cards. Which simultaneously is a good thing because it also means that cards can never inflate in power, right? Like, mm -hmm. you avoid that problem of, of, you know, some card gets released and it's in every deck and so getting a copy of it is, like, hundreds of dollars or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, in Hearthstone, it's 1,600 dust to craft, mm -hmm. you know, this legendary. And it will always be 1,600 dust whether or not it's playable Oh, you know, like the most playable card mm -hmm. in the set or the most unplayable card in the set, which I do think is an advantage, right? That kind of even thing, evens things out. But it, but I, I also understand what you're saying because it doesn't give you the ability to kind of like accrue value um, like monetarily in your collection uh, in, in, in the sense of like well, a market. Yeah, all, all the money yeah. goes to Blizzard <laughs> and none to those silly, silly players who shouldn't be getting any value in their lives. I mean, definitely you know, I definitely, I definitely think that, you know, I, I, I didn't exist in a time where internet retailers, where you could buy singles, um, mm -hmm. was a thing, right? Um, we all had to go to card shops, and you could sell your cards to a card shop, right? Like, what, what you would do is you would have a card, you would sell it to the card shop for store credit, generally, um, mm -hmm. and then you could kind of trade it along the lines. But, like, if I wanted to get, like, a fleet of, you know, whatever it was at the time... Um, <clears throat> goblin pile driver, right? I I might need to go to a couple of different, you know, I might need to like beg my mom on the weekend to go to like three different card shops to get all four uh, for my deck or whatever because it was so it was so tough to uh, to get to get them in singles. But now you know you have internet retailers, right? Like um, that you can buy that you can buy singles off of. And they'll just ship it to you, sort of thing. So I don't. It's like, to what extent do you do? You, do you think that that's a good way for the the game to have its economy, right? That you can just like go buy singles for cash money, sort of thing. Uh, uh, or to what extent do you think that's a? That's I'm, I'm going to tack on to this real quick. Um, like I, I know maybe it was like a year or two ago there was there was a controversy about people trying to like uh, like manipulate the card speculation market. Oh, oh my god, that was yeah. amazing. I know exactly what you're referencing. Uh, ooh, I, I feel <laughs> about that all, all tying into it as well, as, as well as the first things that Buddy mentioned. Okay, so one thing I want to mention to preclude that is is to mention something about Yu-Gi-Oh! and how terrible of a card game it is. Oh yeah, dude, but, um, let's shit on Yu-Gi-Oh! That's a great idea. <laughs> but um, so Yu-Gi-Oh! is obviously not as expensive as Magic, but it still has expensive cards. Um, 
from my understanding, there are definitely cards that are just like best in format. Um, and I know what Yu-Gi-Oh has done in the past in multiple instances is, yeah, this card is like really rare. It's very expensive. It's like, like tens of like many tens of dollars, like close to a hundred dollars or something like that. And then they reprint it at uncommon and completely tank the value. Oh, um, what? That's insane! Just be like, yeah, wow. sorry, you guys need this card more and you were complaining it was expensive, so uh, we reprinted it for you. That's, like, not okay. Um, Magic has a lot of, of uh, instances of, like, what they can and cannot reprint and, like, what they choose to do because they kind of care about the secondary market even though they, they they will never admit that they care about the secondary market but they do in Hearthstone you guys don't really have a secondary market like you said you just turn your cards into dust and then you can turn those into new cards so magic kind of has like an added uh, complexity in that regards and I think that that's an important part of why it's lasted as a card game for so long is because they don't screw you over and they let your collection that you care a lot about because it's your hobby kind of stay uh, at least somewhat valuable if, if you're like into it. Um, like I mentioned, I play Legacy, which is one of the Eternal formats. There's also Modern, which is an Eternal format, except instead of all cards in Magic's history, it goes back to a certain point in time where they kind of fix things and made things more balanced. I forget what yeah, set what was it is. The, it's like is it, is it or something like that. No, I, I think I, it's I after Invasion. It it's it's one of the core sets is when they set it as, but I always forget like which sets were around that core set at that time. Um, okay. And then there's standard. but um, So, for instance, a lot of the cards, and this has to do with like your speculation and manipulation of the market, uh, wizards are contractually obligated by their own contract to never reprint. For instance, the dual lands that I mentioned, like I own two underground seas, they're like three hundred and fifty dollars. Uh. Well, why are they that expensive? It's because um, back in the day when they only had a couple sets to their fans, they said that they would just never reprint some of these cards again. So they're just never allowed to reprint those cards, and so the entire like supply of that card is limited to whatever they printed twenty-five years ago. Um, and the reason for this is they didn't want to make a lot of people mad that invested and supported the game in their early years to be mad when they try to, um, when they try to just reprint their cards that are valuable. And I, I, I don't, I personally don't care about that. I think more people should have access to cards and make the game more playable. But, um, because of that, they don't reprint cards, and that's why they have these other tiers of formats, so that you don't have to worry about these cards. We created like a new format that uses all the, almost all the cards except for these cards, and things like that. But um, getting back onto like the secondary market is kind of how often do they reprint a card? Do they care that this card was reprinted like, or this card was printed five years ago and it's played in these formats like Modern and Legacy? And it's just going up and up in price. Um, so what they've been doing for the past couple years, or I, I should say one thing before this, is that, as I mentioned just before, they have this list of cards that they'll never reprint. It's called the reserved list. They're not allowed to reprint. What started happening like a couple years ago is some wannabe like stock investor, but isn't good enough to play like real stocks or any real financial game decide I'm just gonna go on all these online stores and things and just buy up all of these copies of these reserved list cards so they're just trying to like corner the market on these specific cards that they're not allowed to reprint 
and thereby increasing the price and now they have all these cards that are kind of like just uh, appreciating in value. Um, I question how smart a lot of this is. I feel like what often happens is people are buying cards that people don't really care about so while they may if you can find a copy it's more expensive now but no one no a lot of people aren't buying all of these cards um, but um, to get back on that this is kind of manipulation of the secondary market that people are taking advantage of these lists and they're buying up a bunch of cards and they're trying to sell them because they can't reprint them and thereby making them expensive but from wizards perspective if you have a card game that's open to the public and you want to have a thriving community, have thriving competition, that's not exactly ideal. Um, so what they have been doing lately is they've been reprinting Masters sets. They call it Eternal Masters or Modern Masters. They have another one coming out that's called Iconic Masters, where they're just taking these cards, a lot of which have value, um, and they're just reprinting them. And they're doing it in a kind of controlled way where they're actively thinking about how many more copies they're kind of printing. Right, right. So that they can make the price decrease but not completely, like, tank it. They're not printing Mythics at Uncommon. They're printing Mythics at Mythics in a supplementary set that... Um, only fuels like the secondary market so to speak the the sets are usually designed only to be drafted they're not like part of standard or anything like that and that way for instance i really want to buy this card called flusterstorm it's like a type of counter spell currently it's like eighty dollars but they're reprinting it in iconic masters it's gonna be like sub twenty dollars because no one ever needs more than like two of the max whereas before it was only printed in like a particular like sealed deck uh thing like a commander deck i think okay um, so it's really expensive gotcha. um and so they do a that, lot of things really to keep people I mean, happy. our last episode was a lot about monetization and kind mm -hmm. of like monetization practices right but in none of the kind of like loot box example i mean we were talking about hearthstone kind of as a positive example but in none of like the kind of loot box or like you know card game examples is there ever a secondary market outside of magic because magic obviously has physical you know you're buying something kind of uh uh, kind of physical. Um, do you know this? The 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 the. It's not really a scandal, but like the thing that Mango was referencing, where the one person was like, "I'll pay you eighty thousand dollars if, like, you know, you can win a Magic tournament with like this card in a deck, sort of thing." And he asked on Mango, the subreddit. Yeah, that? he asked it on the Magic subreddit, which was the best part. Uh, if you gave me more specifics, <laughs> I'm sure I've heard about that, but I can't think of like it. Definitely sounds familiar, but I can't think of it right now. Let me see if I can find it. You guys talk about something else. Okay, uh, so uh, what decks are... So, like, um, before the podcast, you were explaining what the new set was, and you said you liked the new set a lot. Ooh, uh, what, what, what is the new set, and why is it so cool? Okay, so I'm going to preface this with more things. Apparently, I have lots of things to say, but do you guys remember, like, Unglued and Unhinged? Yeah. They're, like, joke yep. sets. Everything's, mm -hmm. like, super silly, like... There's, like, donkeys that are, like, two-and-a-half, two-and-a-half power toughness or whatever nonsense. Yep. Um, there's going to be another un unset. I, I forget what it's called in, like, the next half of a year or something like that. And while I think they're funny, I think, to me, it kind of, like, wears off very quickly, and I don't get super into them. That's just, like, my opinion. You know, I'm not I saying anyone else is way. right or wrong. I was, but I mean, I was playing I, Magic I do heavily. like. When uh, when unhinged came out, um, mm -hmm. 
It's funny, but like, but, um, it's most funny when you read the when you just sit there and read the visual spoiler. Like, uh-huh. I never have any. Yeah. Like, but then, like, playing it is just like, eh, this is okay. That's like my opinion, anyways. Um, but it's not like so. I play competitively, but I also draft every week. I don't go into every draft every week trying to like completely dominate people. I'm trying to have fun because this is like something I do weekly for fun. Um, so the current set kind of has the right level of silliness to just, like, fun flavor, and it's kind of, like, what I want out of magic in terms of just being entertaining. Not, like, super funny sets or anything like that as, like, a break from serious sets, it's just kind of fantasy tropes and things like that. The current magic set is called Ixalan. It's supposed to be kind of, like, South America, the set. They've been doing that a lot lately where they, like, Two, two, um, no, like five years ago, they had like Greece or ancient Greece the set, and then they have right. like Gothic horror the set. The, the The previous set was literally Egypt. It was just all about mummies and and things like that. Uh, this set is very South American kind of themed, and it is kind of ridiculous, and I love it. Um, there are four tribes or four different groups of people, and they're all trying to find the lost city of. Um, or Oraska, I think I'm not kind of bad saying these things, gold? but it's basically Elder. Yes, it's it is literally the city of gold. It's a golden city, so it's El Dorado. Um, and you have these four kind of groups of people trying to find it, and what the four groups are is just ridiculous to me, and it's kind of like hilarious. So, they've introduced a creature type they've never had before in Magic. Uh, the creature type is dinosaurs. So you have this like Incan Empire group which are all dinosaur-riding knights um, that can summon dinosaurs and fight. And they're kind of the people that are the biggest empire at the moment. You also have, like, another kind of indigenous tribe-type people, which are all merfolk, and they're kind of like Aztecs or something like that. And they know where the Golden City is, and they're trying to protect it from everyone else. Uh, The other two groups are what are effectively Spanish conquistadors. Uh, They have a church... But all their conquistadors are vampires that are trying to find the Golden City so they can claim this ancient relic so that they can pure themse- make themselves pure from this vampire curse because obviously they're all very holy people or whatever supporting the church. Um, and the last group are pirates who just want the lost city to have all this gold. So I like the flavor because it's just kind of this amusing combination of things which is which is interesting to me. And the cards themselves are, are relatively fun to play with. I like the, the format. Okay, so Manga, did you find yes. it? Um, <laughs> so this was posted on our Spikes, speaking of Spike, um, and it was, it appears to be the, the, uh, the post is, uh, was edited and removed over, quote, legal concerns, um, and it was for Seance. 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 The the magic card Seance? Oh, Uh, okay. Yeah, card text. At the beginning of each upkeep, you may exile target creature card from your graveyard. If you do, put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of that card, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. It is too colorless, too white. And it's an enchantment. Okay. Um, They've reprinted that card a bunch. (laughs) It's usually pretty mediocre. But, um... 
Hmm. I, guess, I guess I wish I could contribute more, but I don't remember that card in particular. Do you, do you remember what happened? Did someone like put in their? Well, I remember it was a big scandal because the guy, the, the 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 guy basically posted on uh, on the Magic subreddit about it, and everybody was like, "What the fuck is this?" Um, I think we talked about this like two Gen Cons ago at Gen Con, because uh, it was it was you know current at that time. Um, but I guess nothing really came out of it because it looks like he he looks like he abandoned his plans and the card value is at about thirty five cents. Um, so uh, you know the plan of driving the value through the roof apparently didn't work. Um, hmm. Do you know if uh, Channel Fireball um, like does anything to prevent these kinds of things from happening? Um, What's channel prevent fireball? what type of thing? Well, I don't know. Like, I don't know like, like so, so, like, so channel fireballs. One of the, it's it's the shop I found the fucking reference on. Uh, in, in more kind of like do like one would imagine that if online retailers just refused to sell in super large quantities, to people they could prevent this kind of cornering of the market from happening. Do you know if mm-hmm. they do that, or is or is it just kind of like whatever? I do believe that TCG Player, which is trading card game player, it's like one of the websites. It's kind of like a superstore where okay. smaller stores can have like a page on it. I do believe that they they actively tried to make an impact on the secondary market to try and prevent these kinds of buyouts and things like that. Um, but I don't have specific details. A lot of these stores sometimes do like shady things. Like I know. Um, Wasn't there like a there controversy in- with somebody who got a spoiler or something? Re- like maybe like last yes, year? Yes, that has definitely happened. I forget what the store was. It was one of the big stores, and they were in like the Southwest, which is also where Channel Channel Fireball is from. I don't... I want to say it wasn't Channel Fireball, but I, I could be mistaken. But basically, like, when a new set comes out, they give spoilers to people. Uh, like so to reveal a card at a certain point in time, and then everyone gets hyped because like, no oh, man, they're reprinting this card. Um, and since they've been doing these master sets where they reprint really old, expensive cards, there's some danger to stores in that their price might go down. So there was one store who got a spoiler for a card that I I want to say was like Force of Will, uh, which is like a hundred dollar card. And right. so apparently they were just trying to have like a bunch of sales and promotions to like basically get rid of their old um, their their stock of them before it got reprinted to try and like maximize their money. And I know a couple stores got like hammered by Wizards oh because they got their, the spoiler like, for the card and so they were trying to offload them before it got announced. Yeah, and they probably and they like spread the word around to like other people. It's that's like yo, you need to dirty. try and like sell these. Wow, now, some that's people really like. Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Yeah, to do it on like a big scale is super. Uh, I mean, it seems, super it seems just like a bad play bad. from Wizards in the first place, right? Like, you know, they hand that off to a, a store. Like, I feel like this, like, like it's, <laughs> like the store is gonna want to <laughs> protect their own interests. I feel like handing that kind of announcement to a store is just a bad idea in the first place. Yeah. It's kind of the issue that... So who do they give it to? They, they actually usually give it to specific people 
who are pros or known. No, magic definitely. Players I mean, that's the way it works. Like in our Maybe stuff. they have a, like a funny video or podcast or or mm-hmm. uh, pros or whatever will be given cards to debut mm-hmm. when before the new set is released. Yeah, but that, that that's that it. That that is what they're doing. The issue is a lot of these pros open or are sponsored by these stores and have a lot of investment in them. Uh, uh, yeah, man, that's fucked up. I don't know what else to say. Yep. Yep. <laughs> sometimes it does work in your favor. Like, sometimes when they know a card's gonna tank in price, uh, if you're at the store and you're trying to do, like, trade-ins or trade to a store, they'll just give you a good deal on it, though. That I'm okay with. Usually that's after the spoiler's already been announced. Like, like there's one of the cards that's gonna be reprinted in Iconic Masters... Uh, my friend got a good deal on probably because the guy was just trying to like sell it while it's still like relatively expensive before it before it drops. But as is, far as like kind of big movements, like, when something is going to rotate out of standard or whatever, right? Like people are trying to offload copies of it and stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. That's actually why it became really hard to keep up with standard. Is when they went from two year rotation to one and a half year rotation. If you want to get a good price on your cards to sell them before they tank, you have to sell them ahead of time. Like, there's going to be some point where everyone's going to suddenly have this idea that they don't need these cards anymore. They're going to try and sell them. You always have to be, like, ahead of the curve. Um, Because when you get close to rotation, even if they're still, like, the best card, they're just going to start tanking in price because you're going to have a lot of people just taking a break for a little while um, and just trying to sell their stuff. That way they can buy into the next big thing. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I, I definitely get that. Uh, I definitely see that sort of thing. So uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, because it is my favorite form of magic, and I'm pretty sure I've talked to Mango about this. Maybe we've even mentioned this on the pod. Um, my favorite way to play magic was never really the single-player stuff, like even when I was going to tournaments, like Ooh. doing kind of like PTQ-esque mm-hmm. stuff. Like That was fun, and there was enough spike in me to get on board with that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, the 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 thing that I found most compelling about playing Magic was multiplayer, oh, um, yeah. and the and the ability to have like multiplayer formats, right? Like Emperor, right? Or two headed mm-hmm. giant. Um, oh, or, I love all uh, those things. I mean, I I've played so much uh, Highlander, EDH, Elder Dragon mm-hmm. Highlander in. Um, in college just because there was a group of us that maybe you know there were maybe six of us I in am total such a timmy and, edh player with a little spike yeah in. and three or four you know and like three or four of us you know could get together at any individual time mm-hmm. um and that's one of the things that sucks about hearthstone is that there's no multiplayer formats um, that seems uh, like they could really be trying to monopolize on that or something like it's certainly not undoable for them and can definitely I think it's be a really tough fun. thing to do. There's uh, also so many ways you. of doing it. Like like you mentioned for Magic, there's like two-headed giant, which is just 2v2. Somehow just having your friend as your teammate just makes it like completely different. Magic also does a type of somewhat competitive form of that that usually people just get really hyped for for fun where you need to have one person play Standard, one person play Modern, one person play Legacy, and then it's your team of three versus another team of three each round. Um, and it's whoever like had two of your your team win. Um, 
But well, so, always just, so something that's very cool I about Commander, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, something that's very cool. Oh, right, they call it Commander now. I forgot. Yeah. Something that's very cool about Hearthstone is the way that the uh, like the competitive format is. And so I want to. I want to. I want to. Um, here's how competitive Hearthstone is. Uh, like the the format for competitive Hearthstone. It's called like the Conquest format. Um, in Hearthstone, you know, you have classes, right? Um, and then you have mm-hmm. uh, you have nine different classes. Um, and uh, and so what conquest is, is you show up to a tournament with four decks, one from each individual, one one from uh, four individual classes, right? Like you can't show up mm-hmm. with uh, with two decks for the warlock class, for instance, right? Um, and then in each individual match, it's a best of five. Um, but what they do is, at the start of the match, you ban one of your opponent's decks okay. by class, right? So you say, oh, I'm not letting him play his druid deck. I'm not letting him play his warrior deck sort of thing. And then each, each match, like the, the two players will pick one of their decks sort of thing. Um, and the player who wins, that deck has now like accrued a win, and so it can no longer be played. But any mm-hmm. deck that hasn't won yet can be played, um, and oh, so okay. what ends up happening is um, you I keep, you know, so. like you keep going mm-hmm. until um, one person has won on each of their three decks, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, are, is there anything like that when it comes to competitive magic? Right, like is the competitive magic format uh, does it have any kind of like bans inside of a match between two people or anything along those kinds of lines or using multiple decks or switching out like i understand like sideboards right like we used to have sideboards Mm -hmm. are sideboards still a thing for instance yeah sideboards are definitely a thing but the rest of that there is none of that like sideboards are all about cards that hate on like your worst matchups and things like that to just improve them yeah in magic we call these Um, i'm sorry in uh, in hearthstone these are called tech cards are they called tech cards in magic Nah, people just call them cyborg, cyborg. Cards. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, in Hearthstone you'll say like, oh, I like I teched my deck against like a certain archetype, and you, which mm-hmm. means like you included some cards that like specifically shit all over that archetype kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's none of that. I think that would be a really cool kind of thing. I don't know how you would necessarily implement that. There's a lot of like history and magic that. People kind of like the way it are, like like right, the right. way it is, and sometimes they're they don't like it when you try and do something new or cute. Like one one of the mechanics in like a recent set was called meld. It was kind of dumb, and I think there was a lot of like lashback at it because I think it's literally a Yu-Gi-Oh mechanic. Um, the idea is if you have these two specific cards on the battlefield at the same time, they combine to form one card. And so they literally had the back of those cards be half of a bigger magic card. And it looked ridiculous and stuff like that. But um, as far as, like, bands of specific, uh, like, um, decks and cards, that'd be a really cool concept. I don't know how to implement. Um, they do have a competitive form that's... Uh, uh, I forget what it's called. It's It's kind of like team constructed i think is just what it's called okay um it's basically saying that you have a team of three people and you have to produce three decks but there can be no shared cards between your three of your decks so it kind of adds like a restrictive element to it like what like kind of what happens from what you said but in a different dynamic it just kind of makes it so yeah that's what is the optimal way to to play uh, cards there's also team hearthstone 
mm-hmm. which it kind of is the same thing. But then it, it gets like even crazier because what it is, you have a team of three, right? And each one of those people brings um, uh, three decks, uh, and mm-hmm. you can't share any of the classes. So all nine classes get represented. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like it's kind of like on uh, like 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 on. On, on a grander scale, this kind of conquest format. And then each of the matches is best of three, and you still ban one, right? So if mm-hmm. my decks are rogue, warrior, druid sort of thing, I can ban your druid, and then when you're a rogue and warrior, when you win, and then the mm-hmm. team that, you know, wins the most of those. Like, it's, it's, it's incredibly weirdly, like, tiered or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's very cool to showcase a lot of different decks getting played um, so that you don't end up in a situation where, like, Every player is walking into the, you know, is walking into an esports event with the exact same mm-hmm. deck. Like, there's a lot of shared archetypes, right? Um, but like, the need to spread. I like them that out, hates on the best deck also a lot. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. And uh, like that's definitely a thing. Like, like for instance, when when uh, you know, like we talked about this a little bit before with the balance episode. Um, but when uh, when Jade Druid was being uh, was like really overpowered before they kind of put out the first wave of nerfs, mm-hmm. um, in that <laughs> tournament, Druid was essentially permabanned. Just nobody let Druid through, um, mm-hmm. which actually ended up making the tournament very cool because it meant that like every person, you know, like it, it mm-hmm. was it was like it was like Hearthstone was all of a sudden like an eight person card game or like an eight class <laughs> card game uh-huh. uh, but like with no bland so there was like some kind of high stakes uh i don't know it was very interesting to see it does sound it was also interesting, interesting because like when you're playing in the ladder and you're that. going up against a whole bunch of jade druid and everything like that um what ends up happening is the whole meta of the ladder itself is defined by jade druid but when you walk into a tournament setting and you know well i can just ban Jay drew it out in all of my matchups. You end up bringing in weird, you know, like you end up bringing in decks that people don't mm-hmm. even see on ladder because in ladder you don't have the same luxury to like ban druids kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, which actually made spectating a lot more interesting. Um, more unique because deck choices. You're seeing, yeah, you're seeing decks that never get played. Mm-hmm. I always like seeing decks that uh, are new or interesting. Sometimes I watch a video of a couple people who just kind of build, like, budget decks or just, like, brew weird things and stuff like that. Have you ever played, like, Popper or anything along those lines? Not like Popper. Uh, this isn't Popper. I do... I, I've never gotten super into Popper, but I, I like it conceptually. I just don't know anyone that streams it or anything like that. It's not, like, super popular in, like, you know, among streamers and things. For those who don't know, Popper is just all commons. So no no upper rarities. Um, yeah, I've played Popper before. It's actually pretty funny. We drafted a Popper draft once. Oh really? Uh, once we realized so like, you that just we could, took like, out all the uncommons and rares. Yeah, we just took out all all like the uncommons and, and rares. It was actually <laughs> kind of lame to be honest with you. Like it was a lot less <laughs> fun than it sounded. Um, but uh, you know, there's a while where we were building. I mean, they're called cubes or whatever, where you kind yeah. of like you make your own set uh to be drafted Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a while where we were doing that all the time as we were like making our own cubes out of our collections that's pretty cool people still love making cubes i'll always play someone's cube but i've never never tried to make one myself a lot of work that goes into that but you do get to personalize it there's just so many different ways to play card games Um, are there i i uh 
Yeah, well, are, are there, are, do you have any, do you have any parting remarks, Mango? Anything you want to talk about when it comes to Magic: The Gathering or, or Hearthstone stuff? Oh, uh, not particularly. <laughs> I'm not particularly invested in either game, which is kind of why I've been quiet this cast. But that's okay. Um, I do kind of want to bring up a follow-up from our previous cast, which is vaguely related since we were talking about uh, loot boxes over the course of this. Um, and this has happened a couple of times now. Um, we, uh, the Robot Congress, the, the podcast by uh, Ryan Morris, the video game attorney, did an episode on loot boxes and the legal aspects there, which is not something we touched on. Um, and it's highly interesting. It's I, I recommend that they got on Mark Whipple, who was uh, legal counsel for the people who made the Golden Tee game, the golf game that's like in every bar ever. Um, and uh, ha- like because and he has a ton of experience with like what constitutes gambling and what's not because that's tied to that. Um, and the company also eventually okay. started making slot machines. And uh, kind of <laughs> in a word, um, he believes that like loot crates are absolutely gambling and that regulation is going to come down at some point. Um, and so the SRB oh, really? needs to get their shit together. Um, yeah. Um, wow, that's really interesting. That doesn't seem uh, crazy or anything. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, basically, the thing that the, the biggest impression I came away with it from it is that like gaming regulators, the people who do that job, like are very dedicated, like ex police people generally, and they're, they're people who are dedicated to making sure normal people don't get ripped off. So at some point, somebody's going to catch wind of this and, and not be happy about it, especially because a lot of ways the stuff is aimed at children. At least that, that's what that's what he believes will happen. Um, and basically, whether or not the, on legal footing it's going to count as gambling or not is going to be about how technically literate the judge is. Um, and if you get a technically literate judge, he's probably going to say it's gambling. Um, Interesting. Yeah, but, you know, obviously I'm summarizing. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer. Um uh, so I recommend the cast. Yeah. I will link it in the description. It's very interesting. I recommend it to everybody. Um, well, so to be clear, I mean, you play a ton of Overwatch, right? Um, oh, I do. When uh, uh, when it comes to Overwatch, right? Like, how, time, how, how, do you, how do you feel about like loot boxes and Overwatch and everything? I think they're just like a fun incentive. They like I would still play the game with or without them, but I I, I like that you can kind of just like customized characters with like skins or whatever nonsense just kind of personalize things i don't know when that eventually like whenever that sort of concept started up that's just you know in every game ever but i don't see any i i can't see anything that would constitute that just a game rewarding its players with like in-game like uh flavorful things to just be you know gambling or anything like that yeah, it, it's based around the fact that you can pay in real money to get it out, and it's and, mm-hmm. and like the payout rate is like relatively low. It, it, I've, they go into a lot more detail in the cast, but um, and mm-hmm. it also centered a little bit more around CS:GO, where there is a little bit more uh, a, a real money transaction element because it's kind of easier to get stuff out into real dollars from that system mm-hmm. and from anything on Steam. Oh, gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously you can't that trade would make sense if you boxes. can like turn it more into money yeah especially I can see that like part of it too is that you can't trade cosmetics in uh in overwatch um but you can trade mm-hmm. items in on, in the steam ecosystem right like um mm-hmm. PUBG, which is a game we all also play will, will, will be inside of this as well um yeah uh so uh, this is the uh, the part of the cast where we generally talk about our weeks. 
Um, we have not played any uh, any Hell's Rebels since our last podcast, but we do have a unique opportunity to ask uh, Dear Jimmy, who plays Weirin in Hell's Rebels, about his experiences with with the game. So, uh, Jimmy, how are you? Yeah. How are you enjoying Hell's Rebels? Oh, I enjoy it a lot. Um, I just wish all of my teammates weren't a bunch of of self-centered assholes. Nah, I'm just, I'm just playing. Yeah. Can, can, I mean, can you say assholes on the air? Yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're, mar- <laughs> we're marked as adults. Uh, we're marked as an oh, okay, adult good. podcast with severe language or whatever. Because uh, I, I, I don't care either which way. But no, I, I always enjoy the dynamics. I try to play the pseudo-socialist character, I guess. Something like that. And then we have these these social elites in the party who are... You, uh, you who play Beauregard and Charles who play Sir Alric are probably the most vocal. Um, yeah. And then I guess I would be third, um, which is just kind of funny because the other three people are all playing characters that are very different from yours and Charles's, but yours and Charles's are kind of similar and you're the most spoken ones, which almost fits the role of your characters. Yeah. A little uh, bit. I, I, I would expect that. the aristocratic types to be the... The ones that speak all the time, and then me and the other two, who are the uh, burly types, don't uh, speak as much. Yeah, no, I I really like the dynamic. Uh, uh, Warren, who plays Maragrug, was uh, a couple weeks ago on the cast, and he said, uh, basically, it's it's this fun dynamic where the three of you are kind of like the the more goody two shoes characters, but the two of us only need to sway one of you to get that majority mm-hmm. rule and to kind of like push everything down, kind of like the the more questionable side of things. And that, that that's a fun dynamic in, in that way, and I, I and that's I why I called you guys assholes. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, we we got you to swing into like uh, in, into just like fucking up the beastmen, uh, with the, with the <laughs> and, so you know. Uh, yeah, you guys have been also played your dead sons game, right? No, that's next this Monday. Uh, this Monday. Did we talk about the last dead sons one. game on the cast? Uh, we talked, we did our session zero, we did our character creation stuff. Um. Oh, so you haven't actually played. No, not yet. No. Gotcha, 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 yeah. gotcha, gotcha. I'm very okay. nervous about uh, that. First, first yeah. time having serious responsibilities and doing DM stuff. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I mean, this might be a good, good, good time for it. Um, as a new DM, what are the things you're most nervous about? Um, and maybe, maybe we can give you some hints. Maybe Buddy can give you more hints than me because he's done it more than I have. I'm kind of nervous about, like, how much... Not not exactly nervous about this per se, but for the session, it should last some number of hours, and how much of that has to be improvised versus, like, pre-written text that's in, like, the Adventure Path book chapter or whatever you call that. Text, yeah, written text, with you. I mean, I feel like it's kind of obvious when I am using pre-written text versus yeah. when I'm when I'm making things up off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm worried about having a good a good flow when I when I inevitably have to just kind of like make stuff up and wing it, it to play all these different characters that are NPCs. Hey man, you might not be great at it at first, but practice makes perfect, and and that's and that's fine, right? Like. None of us are going to be like, oh my god, Jimmy, you're doing such a terrible job at GMing. Um, <laughs> but I am, and will be. Uh, you, you should yeah. be making fun of me for this. Hey man, we're all, we're <laughs> all about support at, here at, 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 uh, at, at some Derp's Play Games. Positivity. 
and in everything we do. We will never say anything mean about each other, right? We never get into right. a shouting match about, like... Definitely yep. not. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah. Um, so, what have you been playing this week, Jimmy? What have I been playing? Yeah. Like, any video games, or are you referring to Magic stuff? Uh, so, we generally talk about video games, but if you want to talk about a particularly interesting Magic match, a particularly good book you read... I don't know. Maybe you had a really nice sandwich. Tell us about you, your week. Okay, okay so yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. Sandwiches. Um, nope, no, no, no sandwiches. But, but, um, what about what about like as, movies? Have you seen any like movies recently, or like TV shows? No, you excited the, for Stranger Things? Are you a Stranger Things guy? Oh, I, I am a fan of Stranger Things. Um, Plug for the Stranger Things coming podcast, out. On last year. Wait, does it come out tomorrow? Uh, it does, I think. Uh, Friday. Does it come out at midnight tomorrow? I think it comes out. It comes out the twenty seventh, I which think. is Friday. Right, right. I just wonder if it'll be on at midnight on, you know, Thursday. Thursday. Essentially. Um, I'm excited for Thor, though the new Thor movie. Thor is. Oof, we're gonna do a cast on that. Yeah. Oh fuck, we have to do a cast on that. Yeah, we'll, 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 oh. we'll, we're gonna have to do some organization what, 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 after why'd the show. You, why'd you say? Why'd yeah, you curse with that? Isn't that a good thing, buddy? Um, well, we're a games podcast, and we've got like seven different movie movies to cover in the oh, next God. three weeks. So you know, we're doing it'll it so be. Yeah, badly. I mean, so we have Combine we have them. Justice League coming out. We have Thor Ragnarok coming out. We have Star Wars Episode Eight coming out. Right, like, these are the new movies that are being released in the next uh, in the next couple of months that we're covering. And on top of that, we're doing a uh, another another double sized Star Wars episode and a Star Wars episode for the Force Awakens. So wow. um, over the next you know however many f- weeks are left in the year, right? Over the next two months, we have five weeks of movies to cover, plus Stranger Things, which is which is a TV show. Plus, we probably are going to end up doing Bright too because both right. of us are big fans Land- of Zack Land- Snyder. Run, and that comes out in December. So that. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. But Jimmy, you play a lot of mm-hmm. uh, PUBG, right? You play you play third per you play third person a lot, right? Yeah, because I'm not some weirdo first person player. What? How do how do you play? How do you go from playing first person in Overwatch to third person in PUBG? That was the thing that got me about first person in PUBG is that I couldn't do first person in Payday and then third person in PUBG, but when I could do them both first person, it was much easier. Okay, so like I, for the most part, I don't really mind doing first person in PUBG, but I don't know how you fucking people drive in PUBG in first person mode. Poorly. Oh. Uh, yeah, poorly. Especially in especially in the fucking dossier. And I'm just very if used you're, to. If you're going downhill in a dossier, you can't see anything. It's the worst. Um, but, 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 uh, outside of the driving thing is, do you have, do you have any like big reasons why you prefer third person? Cause I'm curious. Cause, um, um I don't care either way, but I've played so much. how I started playing it. So my, my mindset is kind of revolved around that. Like I like kind of being able to see around the corner when I can't actually should be able to see around the corner. I'm just used to that. It's like how different video games for any console or PC or first person, third person, RPG, like, you know, it's just like a different medium, and I'm just used to the third person and the kind of dynamic that applies to a to a shooter game. That's fair. Uh, if that's what you like. Uh, any any other big games you've been playing? Anything else you wanted to you wanted to talk about? No, nah, I just I just play a lot of D.Va, you know, doing D.Va Oof. things. She never gets any good skins. Oof. What do you, how do you feel um, about the so, uh, new, so... new Mercy changes? 
I hear they're making waves with the reses and the whatnot. I mean, it was completely broken, and now it's, like, fine or whatever, but I, I don't know why she keeps being changed. She's always sweet. Uh, she was, you know, a must-play for a while there, and now it's like, yeah, she's still kind of OP, but it's all right. What did you, what did you think of the, uh, like, do, do you agree with, did you agree with the reasoning they put out for changing it in the first place, basically, that, like, uh, the, the res, like, the Resurrect, um, tool was, was kind of, like, encouraged counterintuitive play? I mean, I do uh, that agree, makes sense I don't know actually if to me, to but, change, but as an active but... player of the game, how did, how did you feel about it from that perspective? Yeah, so, I'm a, like, 90% of my time is playing D.Va, and then the other 10% is, like, a split between Mercy and Lucio, and sometimes you just have good games with Mercy, and sometimes you just have bad games with Mercy, and it always just seemed to revolve around, like, where their flanker is able to kill you before your res got off. So it definitely was just, like, whether, like, you were good or bad at it, it was kind of, like, your ability to survive and just make this one big play. And very often it was like you just running around trying to survive or hiding, like they said, and that's not particularly fun. I don't. No one runs around and just hides around a corner anymore for a big res because uh, that that that's not even possible anymore. Um, so I do agree with that. Um, I wouldn't have like if you asked me beforehand. It's like, does this need a change? Probably probably wouldn't have said yes. Um, and when they change it, she was somehow more broken, which was pretty funny. But uh, she's probably in an okay. Do you have spot any? Uh, so Destiny Two released uh, yesterday. Ooh. Mango and I have been playing it a whole bunch. We're probably gonna go play yep, it yep. after we finish recording. So I heard. Um, that do you have any? Des- do you have any interest in playing Destiny? I do. I have interest because I always look cool. I heard Destiny One kind of felt like empty as a game. If that makes sense. Like I was told that, you know, there there wasn't really like a main story and like you would run out of things to do maybe or something like that. Uh, uh, so does, does that ring any bells, or that that sort of sentiment? Or so I, I play, and if so, how does it change for two? Uh, uh, so, um, I played a bit of Destiny one. I didn't get super deep into it. My brother did, and I talked to him a bunch about it. Um, and uh, uh, basically, um, Destiny one had a bunch of story, but it was all locked away on like an external website, which was particularly pernicious because you were playing on consoles. Um, and you had to go, like, out to a computer and to a browser to read a lot about of it. Um, it also kind of, uh... So it just uh, had, like, written story outside of the game. Yeah, like, there's this guy, his, his, his name, it's called My Name is Bife. I will link to him in the description. And he gives a whole bunch of backstory on the story of, of Destiny. Um, he's kind of like the novel of, of Destiny, as far as I can tell. He's got, like tons of lore videos including an hour and a half timeline and there's a lot of cool stuff there but like the story itself is kind of basic it's like there is bad dude he is bad shoot bad dude with guns until he is not there anymore <laughs> um and, and that's yeah i definitely yeah i definitely get that sense um and that's kind of like the base story kind of all around in like in all of its iterations i feel like it's kind of hard to get outside of that in this MMO shooter format, like you can build as much story around it as you want, but at the end of the day, it's you must defeat the enemy by shooting him with guns, um, and and like that's kind of the the, the extent of it, um, uh, uh, at least at least kind of in in the game in a way in ways that you uh, in stuff you don't have to go looking for, um, but the stuff that I've read is kind of interesting, um, like. 
I'm not sure about this, but, like, the Awoken are, like, some sort of transformed humans. Um, and, like, there's a lot of mystery surrounding that. I think it might have something to do, like, so, in the first game, you find out in the asteroid belt, there's a bunch of wrecked ships. Um, and I don't ever remember finding this out in the game, but I found out through one of these My Name is Bife videos, um, that, uh, what had happened was, is, um, when they detected, when, when humanity, humanity, the Traveler comes to Earth, humanity enters the Golden Age, and they eventually detect that the darkness is coming, like this kind of all-prefaced evil force. And they attempt to get, to, to, to leave, or to, to get around it, they make these colony ships, and they all start leaving Earth to go populate other planets, but they get destroyed by the darkness around the time they all hit the asteroid belt. And so the asteroid belt is filled with, like, these, the husks of these colony ships where, like, thousands of thousands of people who were in cryostasis died in, effectively, their cryostasis sleep. Um, Sad. And, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy and, 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 uh, and maudlin and, and really interesting, and I think the hint might be that the Awoken are supposed to be those people, um, but I'm not sure about it. Uh, that's just, like, a, a thing I kind of saw suggested that might be a theory that I just picked up somewhere. But, like, all, like, the, just... there's a cool, like, bit of interlocking lore. It's just kind of, you know, hard to get when it's, when, when, when all you do is you, like, like, for instance, there's this dude, um, on, in Destiny 2 on one of the later planets. He's, he's, a, he's a dude with a robot arm. And if you stand near him for a while, he'll be like, are you here about my arm? Because if so, go away. And, like, he doesn't tell you anything about it. And then this guy just released a whole video on what happened to his fucking arm. And that's part of that's through the game, but a lot of it's also through, like, grimoire text cards, which were this external website thing. Um, hmm. So, you know, it's, 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 it's very kind of weird in that way. What a weird way of, yeah, what a weird way of conveying... I, you know, I do have to say yeah. that uh, over the, like, I, I played the tutorial yesterday and I really had a really bad taste in my mouth. I was like, oh, like, this is so generic, you know, and, and completely uninteresting. But it did pick up once you get into the actual game itself. Um, and, How do you uh, progress uh, in the game? Uh, so you, uh, so you kind of move between, like, hub worlds, if that makes sense. But, like, what's um, driving you to go to different places? Uh, story campaign. Oh, yeah. And then... And yeah. then you level up. When you hit level 20, you can start getting more gear. And then you have a light level, which is effectively gear score. And you're kind of driven to max that out. Um, I've actually got a lot of thoughts about it. And I do want to do a Destiny cast at some point. So I'll save kind of like the bigger stuff for that. But like, um, it's 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 like a standard MMO loop um, at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, and I find it interesting because that's an, I, I'm, I, I feel good about the MMO loop, right? Like I've talked a lot on the cast about how I appreciate WoW, um, because, uh, uh like for, for its MMO loop. But I, I guess the thing about destiny that I find interesting is that it doesn't do the same kind of thing that WoW does where it kind of like, it, WoW to a certain extent kind of says like, you know, Hey, you came home from work and you had, you know, and you had a long day, and so just kind of, like, chill out and do some world quests, pop an emissary box, maybe get a legendary, you know what I mean? Like, it's a very kind of chill thing, and I can listen to a podcast, or I can watch, you know, I can watch a YouTube video on my other monitor, or something along those lines. But Destiny, I feel like it's much more active, right? So at the same time that it kind of hits you with that, like, repetitive grindiness, almost, um, I also feel like it kind of demands your attention, 
over the course of that grind in a way that I find a little bit weird, which will probably be the defining feature of whether or not I can kind of like see myself sticking with the game, um, like in a long-term sort of setting, if that makes sense. Because at the end of the day, you know, playing WoW is something that's fun to do while I'm watching a movie. Um, and the, and the, and that's why the grind doesn't really bother me when I'm just doing like the same world quests I've done like 50 fucking times or whatever, because like, I'm also kind of doing something else with my time, if that makes sense. But I don't think I would be able to do anything else with my time in Destiny, if that makes sense. And so I feel like I would feel that grind much, much more significantly. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so Jim, Jim, did you have any other questions about, about Destiny that we can answer for you? Um, um. Nope. Uh, for no other questions about Destiny. I don't know enough, to be honest. I do have to say with Destiny is that uh, I wish it was more like Overwatch. Uh, I think the ability cooldowns are, like, the abilities are very cool and fun and everything, but it feels a lot to me like the ability cooldowns might be too long, though I do want to put a pin in that because I'm not max level yet, and I've recently unlocked some things that, like, reduce cooldowns and stuff like that, so, like, maybe that's not exactly true um, in kind of, like, the later, like, the later game or whatever. Uh, but for right now, it's just kind of like shoot stuff. Yeah, um, that's it. I, I like getting headshots, or uh, is super super satisfying. This is something that actually kind of aggravates me because I only know this because I played Destiny One, and I don't think they mention it in this game. But you know, you know the Vex, like the the things that are called like goblins and whatever. You have have you seen them yet, buddy? Uh, no. Okay, they look they look like robots, um, and they have heads, and you can blow off their heads. But that's not actually their weak point. It's like there's like a white ball in the middle of them, and I don't think they ever actually mentioned that. And that's like a huge thing for like knowing how to how to fight them. So um, I think that's a mistake. Oh, interesting. I mean, I, I I have heard that there are different weak points than just heads for people for for guys. Uh, but I was under the impression that it would be better telegraphed. Yeah, I mean, it's so the thing is is in the first game it's it's uh, kind of presented as a subversion. Like they've got a big glowing red spot on their head. But they've also got a glowing white, white spot in the middle of their torso. And it's presented as kind of, like, supposed to be a thing to throw you off, right? Like that. No, don't shoot at their right. heads. doesn't actually work. You want to shoot at their, at their, at their mid parts. Um, and there are other weak points, right? Like the, like the jetpack, a ball, you can shoot them in the jets. It's, it's all very neat. Um, but, uh, uh, I don't know. I've got a lot of deeper thoughts about Destiny 2 that I'm going to, I'm going to save for... Uh, a, f- a full cast. Um. Its own podcast. Okay, uh, there's <laughs> one other thing that I did want to mention, uh, which is that I saw the Netflix series Mind Hunters. Uh, have you guys Have you guys heard about Mind Hunters? Have you heard anything about Mind? Hunters? I watched the uh, the first episode. Um, oh, you did! Completely unaware. Did you enjoy it? I thought it was all right. I heard it recommend had it recommend heard it recommended from like four or five different sources, so I figured I'd check it out. And the first episode didn't wow me, but it's definitely something I'd I'd. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd watch a few more before I made a final judgment on. I watched all of Mindhunter, and it is amazing. It's probably, I what, mean, I think about? the first... Uh, so Mindhunters is about, uh, it's like it's like a period piece TV show, 10-episode series, right? Um, about, um, like, the first FBI agents who kind of become, like, criminal profilers. Uh, and so what they're doing is that they're going uh, to different prisons around the U.S., and um, and interviewing uh, serial killers before serial killers even been like named like coined right and they're interviewing serial killers to try and like understand their psychology right uh, and 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 extend that out to other uh, to kind of other endeavors um, and it's basically the best thing that Netflix has put out since the first season of House of Cards uh, 
um, <laughs> which is uh, which is great, which is amazing. It's, it is their second collaboration. I mean, this is also telling. Um, House of Cards was – the first two episodes of House of Cards were directed by David Fincher, right? He's an executive producer on that series. But he kind of stepped away with the later seasons. And so House of Cards, even though I like that show or whatever, um, like it's gone downhill since David Fincher left. Um, but David Fincher is the guy uh, – is has a big hand. He directed the first two episodes of Mindhunter. Uh, he's directing the la- – he directed the last two episodes of Mindhunter. They're both amazing. They're really fantastic. Um and uh, and it's just so good. It's so good. I will say that the, the first episode is kind of slow. Like the first episode has you meeting his girlfriend, like his girlfriend in the in the concert and everything like that. Like that's all in the first episode, right? Uh, yeah. He meets he meets he meets uh, the 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 girlfriend and uh, he meets uh, okay. the the old dude that he goes to. He goes to a small town in Iowa. Um, they ask him about like the the to help out with the woman who got like violated with a broomstick. Um, and, and yeah, 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 yeah. An um, the man, like it, that, it, it is a slow burn. Definitely. <laughs> like you, like there are some really important characters that just don't show up. Okay. I, I guess until up. like episodes three and four or whatever. Like, have they, have you even that heard of like, Ed, is Ed Kemper in the first one? Uh, I don't, no. Oh my god. Okay. Ed Kemper is like a really important character to the show, right? Is he um, one of the serial killers? He's one of the he's one of the serial killers. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause so, there, uh, I saw I saw on Reddit today a a post that compared um that compared uh the like the the serial killer with like the mustache. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Ed yeah. They, they compare his real life. Um. Recordings with the ones he gave, with the interview he gave in the show, um, and it was interesting. It was just kind of interesting to see because it's fairly accurate uh, to what he said. Yeah. Well, I would definitely recommend. Uh, I would definitely recommend completing it. I guess. Uh, oh, you know what else I watched is I watched the first episode of Black Mirror. Mega, you've seen all of Black Mirror. Right? I haven't seen all of the uh, of the Netflix season. I um, mean, if it's up to four seasons, I I saw all of the original UK one. I've seen some of the episodes of the um, of the American. Yeah, I just watched the very first UK episode, uh, like with the prime minister yeah, yeah. and the pig. How did you How did you feel about that? Did you like that? Um, I watched I watched Prime Minister with the pig probably the longest to go. Um, but uh, is I, it because it's the first episode? Sorry. Did you watch this, Watch it the longest ago because it's the first episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's like. I watched that like maybe like a couple of years before I went back and finished the series, so it's even significantly longer than that. Um, oh wow! And uh, I yeah, I, I really liked it. I thought that the the pig episode is probably the um, kind of like the the weakest because it's the least kind of uh, least kind of like weirdly dystopian uh, that of of any of the episodes because most most of them kind of add in these these kind of like supernatural elements or not supernatural that's not a bad way to put it but like these these tech elements that we don't have right now whereas that yeah. episode could have could have theoretically happened today um and so I, I i like it less from that perspective i still thought it was interesting yeah i i, I did start watching the second episode uh though i didn't get very far into it People talk a lot about Black uh, about Black Mirror, and so I wanted to kind of like see what the hype was all about. Um, 
I was very, I was very pleasantly surprised, I suppose, by that first episode. Yeah. Very I mean, the first episode is famous because there was like, at some, at some point after that release, there were rumors, um, that I think it was David Cameron may have fucked a pig as part of like a hazing ritual in college. Right. And so that 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 yeah. kind of got popular because you know like life imitates art type stuff. Um, uh, but there's kind of dubious accounts to whether that's true or not. It was it was just kind of. That that's what catapulted that episode into into, into infamy, um, but I think the other ones are, are more interesting. Um, just kind of like exploring different aspects of, of uh, humanity. Gotcha. I've only seen a couple episodes, but I have enjoyed all of them. All right. Well, all right. unless anybody has anything else they wanted to talk about, uh. Actually, I've got one thing I'll, I'll go over real quick, and it's that I have started painting miniatures. That shit is hard. Um, <laughs> not that I expected it to be easy, but, like, just kind of, like, paint manipulation is kind of like, oh, I got, like, like dealing with paint is hard. Um, but it's fun. It's interesting. It's, it's a hobby, I guess. It's something I want to do while I listen to podcasts, basically, since I don't have a grind to do. Um, in like a in like a video game, which is what I usually used to do, um, uh, uh, but uh, it's it's neat. Um, I did some skeletons because I figured they were easy because you paint the white skeleton white. They're spooky, scary skeletons. Yes, exactly. Um, but also like little things like I said, um, the models are white. I'm using Reaper bones, which don't need to be primed, um, and uh, you paint them kind of off white. So if you miss a little bit, it's not the end of the world. Um, but, you know, I have massive respect for the people who, who get, like, do, like, these super detailed jobs and do them really well. I don't think mine came out ter looking terrible, but they definitely don't look as good as, like, I've seen some people's Warhammer armies, and they look phenomenal. Like, I, I have a friend who, who, who uh, uses some of his old Warhammer minis as, uh, as monsters in D&D, &D, and I thought they were, like, like, plastic out of, like, a package, like, that somebody had made, and he, you know... And, uh, and he's like, no, I, I painted those, and, the, and I looked at them, and, the, you know, the detail can be incredible if you, if you put the, the time into it. So here's to learning how to do that better. Um, it's, it's kind of like, to, to tie it back into the episode, I occasionally see, like, those MTG altered things where, like, they extend the picture mm -hmm. into, like, the card art into the rest of the card. I think those are fascinating mm -hmm. and amazing. There's a big scandal with some of those. Oh, really? Somewhat recently. Yeah, it was, oh, yeah, there's, like, a really Facebook wow. page that's called MTG High End. It's kind of, like, for people to, like, go on and post, like, expensive shit like that. Um, there's this one dude who owns a store in New York, and he got, like, outed by someone on this page for basically kind of almost admitting that he knew something was a counterfeit and then not doing anything about it, pretty much, and just being a general asshole. Huh. Uh, about the whole situation. Wow. And he he posted, like, a video of him, like, tearing up this, like, um, this, like, sort of... It, it's a Black Lotus, but it's not one of the really expensive ones, and he's just burning it on camera and posting on the page and shit because he's, like, had enough, and he's, like, apologizing, but actually he's just throwing a big hissy fit. The issue was that it was cards that someone painted like that, so they painted outside the border, but it wasn't actually one of the actual 
like Black Lotus cards. It was one that was a from a collector's edition, so it doesn't actually have like a magic back. But it was a reback, meaning someone went through the effort of taking this card, which is specifically just in this like collector's edition right. set. Um, it's not like legal to play. They kind of scraped off the back of the card, put a new back on it, and then they did a bunch of other altering to it to make it look pretty like that. And then, um, and then he had this, and he was trying to sell it. And someone at one point's like, "No, th this card's like fake. You've you've been like tricked and stuff." And he's like, "No, I wasn't tricked. This is a real card." And he he like went to some official people, had it checked, and was like, "No, this is this is definitely fake." And then like he just like wouldn't let it go and kept trying to sell it still, even though he knew it was fake. He was still trying to sell it as though it were not fake and people do not like him. Yeah, no, that, that sounds pretty shitty. I mean, at some level, yeah. I could look at that situation and be like, well, if it looks pretty, it might have value on its own. It's like a... Oh, it still actually is very expensive because <laughs> within Magic, there's a format that's called 9394. Uh, the cards that are illegal in the format are any cards they printed in the years 93 and 94, and they printed those collector's edition in that year, so you can play them. That, that's but they're a, less expensive than the other ones. That, that sounds like the fucking like, like 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 uh you know like bullshit rich person version of a format like designed exclusively to keep people out, right? Like like you know like the 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 millionaire club dating site or whatever. This is like that. It's, like, it's pretty much like that. Really vintage, just like that with anything that plays black lotuses and all that nonsense. But this one's like those rich assholes who are also baby boomers that just want to tell you how good things were back when they were a kid, i.e. We had things so good back when Magic was new, and that's just what that format is. <laughs> it's, just, it's just all their golden age perspective of Magic that peaked it, like right when it came out. Uh, wow, that's, that's just... Oh, man. People will always find a way to be assholes, I guess. Uh... But, yeah, I think that's about it, then. Um, if you want to email us and tell us what you think of Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone or any of the things we talked about, you can email us at podcast at subdurvesplaygames.com or subdurvesplaygames at gmail.com. Either one works. You can uh, uh, follow us on Twitter or you can watch us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash subdurvesplaygames uh, where we play D&D, &D, where uh, Jimmy Stars is the wonderful Weirin um, in Hell's Rebels. Um, you can, all the links will be in the description link for views. We'd love to hear from you guys. Jimmy, do you have anywhere that people can reach you if they want to reach you? Or do you want to stay radio silent? It's up to you. Uh, no, that's cool. You, you could just email me, I suppose. My email is brian.j.kirsch at gmail.com. Awesome. Um, so brian.j.kirsch. Oof. <laughs> um, I'll put that. I'll put it in the link. I'll put a link in the description. Um, uh, oh God, I'm gonna get so much mail now. I can just you're gonna get so much, much, dude. Holy um, shit, buddy! Do you have anything else that you wanted to promote? No, I am good. Uh, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>